Well, thank God for warm weather. You agree with me? Amen. Farmers need some warm weather. We need some heat in the ground. Praise the Lord. And I need some heat in my bones. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> we had the potential of four soccer games today. You know how, hard, how cold it is on those metal bleachers? So we need some heat. Warm up that steel. In Jesus' name. Well, <clears throat> we're looking at grace, the power of the gospel. And uh, tonight we're looking at the schoolmaster. And uh, we might think, what, what kind of title is that for a grace message? Well, it's, it's everything. Um, because <clears throat> with the scriptures that we're going to be looking at tonight, we're we're going to see the purpose of the law, that it's the schoolmaster, it's there to lead us to Christ. You know, I think that's where so much confusion comes in. It's hard to use this title and not go to book of Galatians where it talks about how the <clears throat> law was given to lead us to Christ. Um, that as born-again believers, it really no longer has any influence in our life because the sole purpose of the law was to give us, to reveal to us that we needed a Savior. And once the law is able to reveal that to us, um, we no longer need it because we don't need the law to convict or convince us of sin. Uh, that's what we've got the Holy Spirit for. And in our new man, our born-again spirit, our spirit man knows the right from wrong. He doesn't have to have somebody inform him when, he's, when, when we and our physical body are doing the wrong thing. Our spirit man... <clears throat> knows the right thing to do, and that's why we've been reiterating over and over again the importance of us renewing our minds by the Word of God, which is basically getting our soul <clears throat> in line with our spirit, and so that our spirit man can dominate um, the old man, who we were without Christ, our, our soul was dominated by the sense realm, the five senses. And, uh, and whichever direction the soul is taken, that's the direction that we're going to go. That's where our leading is going to come from. And so we need to have our minds renewed by the Word of God. And so before we were born again, the sin nature... The old nature um, dominated. And that's why we, we did what we did was because of that old nature, the sinful nature that was, that was dominant in our lives. But what we need to see, and this is why <clears throat> this whole series has been so important because it's taken, a, taken us through it one step at a time. How 
it's so important that we recognize that our spirit man can dominate. And when our spirit man dominates, sin no longer has a voice. It no longer has dominance in our life. And uh, we no longer have the excuse that we just can't help ourselves. Yes, we can. In fact, we always could, you know, because uh, when we go the wrong direction, it's always right of, it's always a matter of choice. Uh, now, the, the problem was, is uh, we may not have known the right choices to make, <laughs> you know, because uh, we, were, we were dominated by that nature. You know, I, <clears throat> I, I give this temperament test to people that are interested in, and uh, the, the theory behind temperament is that uh, your temperament is God-given, and so there's five different temperaments, phlegmatic, sanguine, supine, melancholy, choleric, and then there's a variation of all that. But the theory behind it is your, your, your temperament is, is God-given. It's, you are who you are because God created you that way. You know, it's an, always an interesting thing, too. <clears throat> we always like somebody else's temperament better than our own. You know, we, we see somebody else in there, you know, for me as a melancholy, you know, you, you see somebody that's a sanguine, they're an extrovert and so forth, and you just think, man, it'd be just so wonderful if that's, that's who I was. But here I am, I'm this boring melancholy, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, but it's, it's your temperament plus your environment that produces your character. And so <clears throat> when I'm counseling with somebody and I'm using temperament as the, the foundation in counseling with them, the goal of counseling is never to change their temperament because their temperament isn't going to change because their temperament is God-given. And so the, the purpose of counseling then is to affect their environment because if you can affect their environment, Temperament plus environment produces character. The end result is you can make a difference in their character. Um, you know, I heard uh, John Hagee make this statement the other day, and <clears throat> um, I'm in agreement with it because I've, I've said it for years, you know, con concerning preachers. You know, I've never seen a preacher that's failed because he can't preach. Because you can always find somebody that'll listen to you. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a given. You know, I mean, some of the people that'll listen to some, what some people have to say just absolutely staggers me. And so preachers don't fail because they can't preach. Preachers fail because of a lack of character. And if you take a look and you begin, this has nothing to do with my message. This is just a freebie. I have no idea why I'm going this direction, but I am. But if you look at businesses, whatever it may be, people in life, they don't ever fail because of a lack of talent, because every one of us have talent in one area or another. Nobody, well, pastor, I don't have any talent. Well, 
No, that's not true. You may not have discovered what your talent is, but you have talent because God wouldn't create anybody void of talent. We're, we're here on earth sucking air for one purpose, to fulfill the plan and the purpose of God. And to fulfill the plan and purpose of God, there's got to be a talent in our, in our life in one area or another. And so nobody fails because of a lack of talent. People fail because of a lack of character. And that's why the Word of God is so important, because it's the Word of God that gets rid of those flaws that flaw our character. And it emphasizes those characteristics that enhance our character so that we can be the vessel <clears throat> that can be used for God's glory. And so let's get started with our message tonight, and I don't know where to go, so let's just read Scripture. Let's start in Romans, the seventh chapter, in the fifth verse. And it says, <clears throat> For when we were, now again, I'm, I got educated in Minnesota, but I'm making the assumption that the education in Iowa was similar to Minnesota. In other words, were is a past tense, that it's something that's already taken place. It's something that's already passed. Am I right or am I right? I thought I was right. And so, <clears throat> for when we were in the flesh, everybody say, I were in the flesh. We're not worried about English tonight. We're just worried about getting, getting it set in our thinking. You were in the flesh. If you were, you no longer are. So, you were in the flesh. The sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in your, mem were at work in your members to bear fruit of death. To death. So, <clears throat> You were in the flesh, and when you were in the flesh, let me get it worded right, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. How many of you know the law is not sin? The law is wonderful. The law is holy. The law, when it's used in its rightful place, is functional. But when the, the law is removed from its rightful place, notice what it says that it did. It aroused the sinful passions that were aroused by the law. What, what, what do you mean the law aroused? We'll look at this a little bit later. But Paul said, he said, I would have never known, this is Schroeder's paraphrase, we'll read the real thing later on. But Paul said, I would have never known that covetousness was a sin until I saw that the law said, thou shalt not covet. And so what the law does is it revealed to us what sin was. And what it showed us was how <clears throat> wicked and miserable and no good we were. And so what, the, what, it, what it did was it revealed 
our tremendous need for a Savior. And so again, let me read the fifth verse. For when we were in the flesh, you know, you might want to just mark that, that you, where you were in the flesh. Well, you know, pastor, my flesh just rises up. Well, that sucker's supposed to be dead. Tell it to get back where it belongs. You know, and so, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit of death. Verse 6. But now, so you were, but now. Everybody say, but now. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. I don't know about you. You know, before Christ, I wanted to do good. I wanted to. You know, I I can remember when the law began to revive in my life. I wanted to do good. I wanted to do the right thing. But, But the harder I tried, the more miserable it became. And the thing about it is, is I continued to go in that direction. You know, I can remember laying in bed at night when I was, you know, reaching middle school age and um, reaching that age of accountability, knowing good from evil. And I can remember laying there and, and crying because I knew that I'd hurt the heart of God. I didn't know why I knew that. I just knew that, I guess, because I went to church all the time. But it was like I couldn't control it. I would, I would say, I'm never going to do that again. I am never going to do that again. Let me tell you something. After I became a Christian, not knowing what I'm talking to you about tonight, not knowing that I was dead to the law, dead to sin, being taught that we as Christians are in the midst of this humongous battle. There's that new nature and there's that old nature. And there's this battle that's, that's going on between the two of them. And as long as we live, as long as we're here on earth, there's going to be this battle between the old man and the new man. And you've got to work really hard at it. And you've got to overcome that, that old man. But it was all up to me to overcome that old man. And so I remember, I remember as late as being in in Ankeny, Iowa, I'd been saved for several years now. And and, and, and being in a time of prayer and swearing to God, I am never going to do that again. I am not going to allow that to dominate my life. I'm not going to allow those thoughts to control me and dominate my life. And the next thing, the next day, the same thing all over again. Pastor Dave Toyne, who grew up in going to the open Bible, talked about how every Wednesday night he went to church and got born again again. Every Sunday night. Because that's when they'd have their evangelistic services because he was told not to sin. And he said, I, would, I was determined not to sin. But by Monday afternoon, I'd blown it. 
And so Sunday night, I had to go get born again again. Oh, you don't get born again again. What we need is a revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus. Not just a revelation of who we are in Christ Jesus, but what was truly accomplished through what we just celebrated this last weekend, the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We died. That old man died with Christ. And so when that old man tries to rise up, we've got to remind him, no, 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 no. You have no authority in my life because you're dead. You got that? You're dead. I'm dead to you. And that dead body, that dead thing, has no right to have a voice in your life. You know, periodically, you know, I, <clears throat> I, I, in the 37 years that I've been pastoring, 38 now, almost 39, I've, <clears throat> I've, I've gotten really weird phone calls, you know, because I was a plumber for 12 years, so people call me about plumbing issues, you know, other things that have gone on. Now I've got a son that's a mortician, and so I get called to help pick up bodies and, you know, go out of state to get bodies. I've gone to Minnesota a few times to Minneapolis to get, you know, people, individuals. And a while back, I went to Kansas City and picked somebody up for Aaron. And people say, whew, that would just really creep me out. I don't know if I could do that riding a vehicle with a, whew, with somebody that's dead. Well, let me tell you, I, I like quiet. <laughs> they don't ever disturb me. Now, if they ever did, I, that would freak me out. But, but never have I had one say, we used to always say, my mom used to always scream at my dad, keep it on the road, Walt. <laughs> you know, and so when we hit the shoulder, even my grandkids do it now, They'll say, keep it on the road, Walt. I don't ever hear coming from the back of the van. Keep it on the road, Walt. Never, never hear it. Because they're, they're quiet. Because they're dead. They have no voice. Your old man, your old nature is dead. It has no voice. Well, you know, Pastor, it's, you know, <clears throat> it's always spoken real loudly to me. What that should creep you out. But see, we look at it as being normal. That old man is dead. He has no voice in, his, in our life. And when he begins to speak up, we need to remind him. You have no voice on the subject. Because I'm a new man. I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things, which includes you, are gone. They're dead. All things are new. And so he goes on and he says, But now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were, <clears throat> were, we were held by. And that was the point. That's where I got stopped. It, we were held by it. It controlled us no matter how much we wanted to have the victory over it. 
it always seemed like we, we lost. And you know why we lost? It's because we were trying to fight it in our own strength. It's in Romans 7. We were trying to fight it in our own strength. But we can't. We're no match in our own strength. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the Word of God. That's why we have the anointing of God. It overcomes not just simply the evil one. It overcomes our past, which was a result of the works of the evil one. And so we have the victory. So that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Think about that. We're to serve God in the newness of the Spirit, but not the oldness of the letter. What, what does he mean in the oldness of the letter? He's talking about the law. My spirit man tells me, thou shalt not kill. I don't have to have the letter in front of me smacking me in the face every day saying, thou shalt not kill. Because, you know, it's an interesting thing. What we, what we keep before our eyes draws our attention. What draws our attention is what encourages our actions. In other words, what dominates our thoughts is what's eventually going to lead to actions. And so, if my battle, you know, because um, let, let's, let's face it. As human beings, we're, we're, we're born with certain passions. And when we have a letter in front of us that is constantly enforcing, reminding of the passion that's in front of us. Say, for example, somebody's a klepel. I like to pick things up. And they know that that's in their flesh. But they have pasted on every mirror, every wall, every place that they look, thou shalt not steal. Well, it's going to help them not steal. No, it's going to remind them on a continual basis they have a problem with stealing. Do you know what will overcome the problem of stealing? Realizing, you know what? My God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. When the thought to steal comes up, and if your only ammunition against that is, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not steal, you're probably going to steal. But when I come against it with, you know what? I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. My God supplies every one of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And you know what? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so, since you're going to try to manipulate me 
with those thoughts. I'm just going to go give something away. Well, that's radical. You bet it is. And that radical will get you victory in your life. And that's, that's just one area. But that's what it's talking about, the letter. You know, it's, it's no wonder the church is in such bondage. But they hear, they hear over and over and over again their shortcomings, their failings, their inadequacies. And you know what? Because we're hearing those things and we allow our flesh to take control, we'll get in agreement with it quicker than you can spin around three times and say hallelujah. And it'll dominate our lives. But you know what? When we get in, allow our spirit to dominate, and we get our spirit man, which is always going to line us up with the Word of God. And with that Word, we have the most powerful ammunition we can ever have. Oh, people are talking about guns. Guns are, you know, they're, they're, they're just so powerful. Let me tell you something. In comparison to the Word of God, the most powerful rifle is a pea shooter. That's how powerful the Word of God is. But we've got, it's just like anything that has ammunition, you've got to fire it. Now, the way that we fire the Word of God is through our mouth. We give it voice, we give it power, we give it authority. And it's going to fulfill and it's going to accomplish that which it was sent forth to do, which is to bring us victory. Listen to this out of 1 Timothy 1.9. Knowing this, that the law, <clears throat> well, don't everybody look up. Do we have any righteous men here and women here tonight? You know, the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Am I right? I thought I was right. That's what the Bible says. It says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. I mean, I believe it. I believe I'm righteous. Now let's look at this. 1 Timothy 1.9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. And of course, woman as well. The law was not made for a righteous man. You know what the law was made for? It was made for the Jews. And the Jews weren't righteous. Now, Abraham was considered righteous. Abraham was not righteous. The Bible says he was reckoned, he was considered righteous in the eyes of God. God looked at him and said, I'm, I consider you righteous. We're not considered righteous. We are righteous through the death, burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You and I were made righteous. You know what that means? It means the law isn't for you and I. Why? Because it's already accomplished its purpose in our lives. And the purpose of that law was to bring us to the knowledge that we needed a Savior. 
And so as a result of that, we prayed and we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We believed that he died. We believe that he is resurrected from the dead for our justification so that we might be made righteous. And so the law fulfilled its purpose in our lives. Now you see, I know I'm, I know I'm simple. I know I'm not educated like a lot of folk. But see, if education reasons that away, thank God I'm stupid. You know, most people, with their education, they're educated beyond their intellect. They're educated beyond being able to take the simplicity of the Word of God and say, this is what the Bible says, I believe it. It's all I need right there. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. The, the law fulfilled its purpose in my life because I prayed and I received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Now the only function for the law in my life is for me to be able to use it to show somebody that they have a need for a Savior. Not to beat them over the head with it, but to show them their inadequacy, their incapability, that they're, they're not able to fulfill the law in their own strength and their own ability. The only way they're ever going to be able to do it is through a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. Let's look at Galatians. Galatians, the sixth chapter, or fifth chapter. Like I said, it's really hard going through this and not at least reading something in Galatians. Galatians, the fifth chapter, the 22nd verse, but the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> now, there's, there's two arguments on this. You know, in my Bible, the New King James, Spirit there is capitalized which is saying that it's the Holy Spirit. I think maybe the King James, I'm not sure. But I know some translations, it's in small letters. It's a small S, implying that it's the, 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 um, a man's spirit. It's our human spirit. <clears throat> but this is how deep I am. It doesn't really matter whether it's talking about the Holy Spirit or our spirit, because the Holy Spirit lives within my spirit. So whether it's talking about my spirit or the Holy Spirit, it's talking about the same spirit because they're one. And so it says, but the fruit of the spirit, this is what, this is what it's going to produce. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now why would it say something like that? Because we're, we're not under law. See, there, there isn't a law that says 
you got to have peace with me. But if the Holy, Holy Spirit has any, any say-so, we're going to be at peace with one another. You know, there's, there, we, we do talk about the law of love. <clears throat> but it doesn't, doesn't function in the same way as thou shalt not kill. The way the law of love works is that God, through you, allows us to be able to love one another. But it's not because we love one another, it's because he loved us. Another passage we'll look at in a little bit, it says, we're able to love because he first loved us. No, actually, that's, it's not. It's my message on Sunday. You kind of get them confused sometimes. It's what happens when you're young and vibrant and full of energy like me. <clears throat> I've decided to change my confession. So... I'm a 30-year-old, 70-year-old. And those who are Christ's, anybody here who is Christ's? You know, <clears throat> just another thought here. Isn't it interesting? And, you know, if it makes you mad, I guess it'll just make you mad, but... But in, in Scripture, every once in a while you run across some words that are in italics. And when you find those words in italics, what it means is it wasn't in the original. That it's been added for clarification. And so here in my New King James Version, for clarification, they added who are says, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh. Now again, don't throw anything at me because I'm just, I'm just reading what the Bible says. So if you remove the words in italics, it says, and those Christ's have been crucified in the flesh. We, Christ's, have been crucified in the flesh with its passions and its desires. Those passions and desires that want to rise up within us have been crucified because we've been crucified with Christ. You know, it's interesting Oftentimes in the Bible, it doesn't distinguish between you and I and Christ. It talks about us and Christ, and it puts us in the same lump. Do you know why? Because we're the same lump. Now, we're, we're not. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not Christ. I'm not Jesus. If you think I am, you're really deceived. You're going to be very disappointed. Because I'm not. Neither are you. But we, corporately, we make up the body of Christ. 
And so we're his extension here on the earth. You know, for years I used to make this statement about <clears throat> demonic activity, how demons, they want to possess a man. And the reason that they want to enter into and possess a man is because without that, they have no, they have no means of expression. You know, in, <laughs> in the old days, you know, we, <clears throat> we used to go to the grocery store and when we'd come home from the grocery store, we'd, we'd cast all the demons out of the groceries, you know, because there, there are bound to be some demons there. But they weren't because demons don't possess fruit because they have no means of expression in fruit. Now, obviously, they... And Mike's probably run into a couple of these, but they can obviously possess a hog. But at least a hog, when he gets possessed by a demon, has enough sense to drown himself. You know, so they're, they're, very, they're very powerful. And so I, I said, you know, demons want to possess a man because they want a means of expression. But one day it hit me. It may not be the right terminology to use, but you know what? The Holy Spirit wants to possess us. Now, the difference is he's going to, he's a gentleman. He doesn't make us do anything. But he wants to possess us from the standpoint that he has a means of expression through you and I. Because you know what? The Holy Spirit cannot express himself unless there's a man, unless there's a woman, unless there's a, human being that it will allow him. That's why Jesus said, we will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What is that? That's an expression of the will of Jesus. Because when Jesus walked on the earth, what did he do? He laid hands on the sick and he saw them recover. He said, we shall <clears throat> cast out devils. That's an ex extension of the will of God. When you share the gospel with somebody, you're not just sharing words. You're sharing, in fact, in Revelation, it says that when we share the gospel, it's the spirit of prophecy. That's why when you begin to share with somebody what Jesus has done in your life, and you get done, you think, man, I... I don't know where some of that came from. I hadn't thought about some of that stuff. It's the spirit of prophecy that came on you. What's prophecy? You're speaking on behalf of God. And so he wants an expression through us. So he wants to have an avenue to use us. And that's why our spirit, man, is so important. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not con become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And of course, what he's saying, if, if we've got the fruit of the Spirit in operation in our lives, we're not going to have envy, we're not going to have strife. And the way that we overcome that is by being led by the Spirit. See, that's where it really, that's what it all comes down to. Allowing the Holy Spirit to dominate 
allowing him to work in our lives. Let's start up in Romans 7, uh, verse 5 again. For when we were in the, in the flesh, before we were born again, it's in your notes, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. <clears throat> Do you know what bearing fruit to death is? We have it just prior to what we read there in, in, in Galatians 5. In Galatians 5.19, it says, Now the works of the flesh. We could call this um, uh, the works of the flesh. We could call this um, the fruit of death. Listen to what he says. If I can find my place again. Okay, there we are. Where are we? Verse 19, right? Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, adultery, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, uh, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reviling, and the like. The like means if your deal wasn't mentioned there, it's included. Now, how'd you like to have that pinned up on your refrigerator? But you know what? That's practically what we used to do. And then we wonder, why, why are we drawn in this direction? Because of what we're confessing, because of what we constantly have before us. Our sin nature, the part of us governed by the law, compels us towards sinful actions. But now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. Now we're, we're free from the law because our sin nature is dead. So that we should serve in newness of the spirit and not oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Like you said, the, the law, like I said earlier, the law is not sin. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, Thou shalt not covet. You know, <clears throat> lust is always referred to as illicit. Lust is desiring to please self at the expense of others. You know, that's the difference between true love and lust. What the... <clears throat> what the what the world considers to be love is, I need you to complete me. Oh, it sounds so, so wonderful. But just think about it. Listen to those words. I need you to complete me. That's lust. That's not 
love. Love says, I give to you to meet your need at my expense. See, the way love and lust operate are totally opposite to one another. Oh, honey, I just love you so much. Will you get in the back seat of the car with me? Oh, you lustful thing, you. No, you don't. You don't. God doesn't care about her. All he wants is his need to be met. Now, I've learned so much about what love is is by seeing a mother's love. You know, Becky for, Pastor Becky, for example. You know, we had some pretty lean years in our marriage, and she would get her Christmas whatever money from the family. 99.9% of the time, um, she bought stuff for the kids with it because that's what moms do. Oh, yeah, I know I have my toe sticking out of the end of my, my shoe, but I'll just cut the end of the other one off and everybody will think I have sandals. We'll get kids' shoes. No, that, that's, that's what love does. You know, I, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice. That's what God did. And we're able to love because of his example. Because he first loved us and demonstrated to us and showed us what love is really like. Now you take somebody that, that has never had a revelation, never come to understand the love of God, and <clears throat> they're just going to continue to be that, that selfish thing. It's not because they, they want to be. But that's, that, that's the nature of the old nature. Now when we get the new nature, all of a sudden, what happens as we're mind, our minds are renewed and we change, they're, they're, we, we begin to love in the way that God loves, the way that he demonstrates it towards us. If you are Christ, If we're Christ's, are we Christ's? Yes, we are. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, it says, The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Think about that. The sting of death is sin. But the strength of sin is the law. Yeah, Pastor, that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <clears throat> well, it makes sense from this standpoint. The more, let me put it this way. I used to go to meetings and I'd hear somebody would give a good old fire and brimstone message. You know, just really put the law out there. I'd walk away and I'd think, oh, 
Man, you need that once in a while. <clears throat> Just hurts so good. But you know what? I began to realize something about that. Never changed my life. Made me aware of my shortcomings and my failings, but never changed my life. You know, I was aware of those shortcomings for a period of time, but eventually, you know what happened? Caught up with me again, and I'd be right back in the same boat all over again, over again. So one thing that'll really set us free, and that's the Spirit of God. The Word of God. And the Word of God, when it's taken in this purity, and we position ourselves rightly in the Word of God. You know, Scripture has to be interpreted in context. And oftentimes we just think, well, context just simply means, you know, the passage is in front of it and the passage is in back of it. When we read all that, we get the context of what he's talking about. But there's so much more that's involved in context. It's, it's what's before and after the verse, the chapter, the book that it's in. But then we also have to look at which dispensation is it in? Is it before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Or is it after the death, burial, and the resurrection of, the G of Jesus? All Scripture is profitable. All Scripture. The Old Testament. You can read through Leviticus and it's profitable. As long as it's kept in context. The New Testament is often referred to as the New Covenant. But you do realize that all the New Testament isn't based on the New Covenant. Because the majority of the Gospel is written before the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's got to be taken in context. Oftentimes when Jesus is teaching in context, he's teaching to the Jews. And he's teaching to them under the law. I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying we have to keep it in context. And when we get into the, into the epistles, it's written to you and I. And that's where it, it, it speaks directly to you and me. Brother Hagen always said, we need to read all the Bible, but the majority of your Bible reading needs to be in the epistles because the epistles were written to you and I. That's First and Second Peter, you know, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Well, let me put it this way. From, well, in the book of Acts through Revelation, that ought to be where the majority of our reading comes in. Now, <clears throat> I read a lot in the Gospels. I read the Gospels as much as I do the epistles because I value what Jesus has to say. Amen. But we also have to interpret it according to its context. And if we don't do that, <clears throat> you know what? I, I've realized, you know, People call it the high church. But I realize the majority of the, you know, those are, you know, 
the churches that are more dignified than us, which is just about all of them. You know, but, but, it, but it's referred to as a high church. And the thing that I realized is the majority of their activity is based on Old Covenant principles. And so it's pattern after that. And, you know, that's all right as long as the mindset is New Covenant. Because we're New Covenant believers. What Jesus has done for us, He set us free that we might walk in total victory. Galatians 3, 23 and 24, it says, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Hear this. For the law was our tutor, our pedagogue, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was given as our guide to lead us to Christ that we might be born again. Romans 7.10, and the commandment which was to bring life brought to us death. Jesus came that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. It goes on in verse 7 and finishes out the, the chapter, but just, just go ahead and read the rest of it. And, but make sure you realize that <clears throat> We're, we're, not, we're not under the law. We've been set free. We're to be led by the Spirit of God. And when we're led by the Spirit, we have nothing but victory in front of us. We have nothing but wholeness in front of us. Because the Holy Spirit will never lead us down a path of destruction. Amen? Be blessed in Jesus' name. Have a great rest of the week. Do your best.